Hi, my name is Paul Matthew. This is the Digital Marketing Fluid Podcast, where we talk with industry experts and small businesses about how they're using digital marketing to grow their businesses. Today, I am speaking with Logan Smith. He, otherwise known as DJ Lowstacks, is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. And he's the owner-operator of Lux Entertainment. He saw a need in a different type of entertainment, one that collaborates with clients and planners to create non-traditional event experiences. And we met while working a wedding together, and what caught my attention is the fact that you asked me for some footage for what you call a gig log, which I think is a brilliant idea that I haven't seen any other DJ or entertainment company doing, at least not in this area. So can you tell me a little bit more about where that idea started from? Uh, so yeah, you're definitely right. I don't think there's anybody else in this area doing it. There are some other guys in the country doing it. Um, I, I did follow a few of them in the past, but the way that I kind of got into it was, you know, I saw a lot of clients asking for video footage. You know, they're <clears throat> just asking the question, hey, do you have any video of yourself? And I'm like, well, I mean, I got some Snapchat stories and <laughs> stuff like that, but no, I don't have like any actual, you know, full-on mm-hmm. high you know, quality video footage. So I started doing some homework on it and, and things like that. And then I saw that, you know, there was some guys around the country doing these gig logs. And um, I was like, you know, back in the day, I used to be, I was kind of into video a little bit, played around with the camera, filming me and my friends skateboarding and that type of stuff. So I just bought a DSLR camera and started filming myself. Yeah. Uh, literally, I just started out. I went to my first, the, I actually filmed myself at several gigs and never actually posted a gig log right. just because there's there's really a science to it mm-hmm. and you know timing and things like that is just it's 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 tough to to do both when you're there to play the music and also mm-hmm. trying to film yourself it can be challenging um but yeah i basically got into it just because i saw a need for for that and i figured it was a good way for me to to set myself apart like basically just how you said it you know, you said it kind of takes some timing. I know as a filmmaker, I am very busy performing the services because it's a wedding day mm-hmm. and you don't have a lot of luxury to uh, take some time to film yourself. Um, some of the things I do, if I have a second shooter, I'm like, hey, if you've got some downtime, just get some shots of me. I'll get some shots of you. And we have some footage of uh, ourselves working that we can put to promotional content. Um, but working by myself, I, I don't really take, I'll maybe take a second, take a little selfie showing, hey, I'm working, I'm active, I'm doing things. Yeah. And But what, what are some of your tips and tricks for finding that time and balancing your, your work? I think the the biggest thing for me was basically knowing what shots I needed. So I don't I don't necessarily have to lay it out anymore, but I used to bring a checklist with me. The the checklist would go something along the lines of time lapse my setup or inter- basically I'd start out actually by introducing myself, you know, hey, this is DJ Lowstax. I'm at so and so's wedding at such and such wedding venue. It's such and such date. I'm going to head inside and get set up kind of thing. And then I would go from there to, I would time lapse the setup of me setting mm-hmm. up real quick. Do that, then do a walkthrough of the of, of the setup. Okay, I'm using this speaker, these speakers today. You know, however the setup goes, and then from there I go into basically do a sound check with the DJ equipment, make sure everything's good to go because that's obviously the most important part <laughs> is making sure that <laughs> equipment's going good, right? So then from there I would run around the room shooting B-roll. So if you watch any of my gig logs, most of my B-roll the the room's empty. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there's not even linens or, you know, chair covers on yet because I'm there right. so early. I'm just hurrying up, you know, trying to get some B-roll. So I shoot the B-roll, 
and then once the event gets started, the key the key shots that I, I can't miss, uh, I try to get introductions. And with the introductions, I run uh, a separate, which you're familiar with this, I run an external microphone to try to get a little bit better quality mm-hmm. um, of, you know, to pick me up. And now I've actually started recording all of my DJ sets. So if I need to, I can pull the microphone audio from that and overlay it over my video because I want people to hear me on the mic. Mm-hmm. So I pull that or I pull it from the camera, whichever. So that's one shot that I like to get. Uh, from there, I definitely need to have first dance. Um, usually a short clip of like father, daughter, uh, mother, son, those those dances. And then from there on, I just might do a couple updates throughout the night and then uh, some dancing footage. And Are you providing this for the clients? It's not, it's not something that I provide. Uh, the clients that have seen it, that have seen the videos that I do, mm-hmm. they ask if I'm going to do it at their wedding, and it's actually in my contract. I ask them, say, hey, w- it, would you be okay with me mm-hmm. you know, shooting video? And there's a check yes or no. Uh, mm-hmm. It's that simple. And I've definitely had some clients not want me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll get into that later. But um, as far as providing it, I tell them there's no guarantee, but I'm to the, I'm good enough to the point now most likely I'm going to be able to do it. I can't guarantee mm-hmm. how good it's going to be. Um, but I you know like you know, the one wedding that we did, you know, I, I pretty much turned around <laughs> a decent, mm-hmm. you know, video in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously not nearly to the production quality of the videos you put out, but it's something to just, I kind didn't of, put it together you know, in 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> not by any means. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it just gives a little bit of a kind of a preview to, you know, what would, Actually, this is kind of a tangent too, but um, I've had videographers come up to me and say, "Hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you why are you filming video?" And I tell them, "Hey, it's for my YouTube channel, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not. It's there's not going to be some high end production you know, <laughs> edited video coming out. It's just a this like, is a, for the I YouTube channel." I gotta admit, I was confused when I first saw that because I I was there hired as the videographer yeah. and I'm shooting, and then I see you just taking camera and getting B roll. I'm like. What's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> Do they hire another company? Like that's clearly not photos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I, one thing that I always try to do is, after I had that one kind of, I wouldn't really call it an altercation, but mm-hmm. you know that one kind of bump in, is I I try to definitely go up, introduce myself, say, hey, I'm Logan, I'm the DJ, this is what I'm doing. I'm not not trying to steal steal mm-hmm. the thunder or anything from you, and uh, actually. I kind of downsized too. So now I'll bring the, I have a little Canon G7X Mark II and I'll bring that and I'll shoot a lot with that because mm-hmm. that's way less intimidating, I guess, when another yeah. videographer is running around with these full-size cameras and I have mm-hmm. a little point and shoot, they're not going to take me seriously. Yeah. So so they're not they're not as worried as when I'm coming in with a, you know, Sigma 18 to 35 and a, you know, <laughs> full-on DSLR camera with a mic and everything. Then they're like, then they're, yeah. yeah, and I was like, well, that's that's more than the average. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's not grandma's camera that she brings to soccer games. No. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's someone who takes it a little serious. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah, at least I didn't have the gimbal that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now I kind of want to circle a little bit back about the audio thing. Have you considered doing a putting a lapel mic on yourself? That way you have a very clean audio source that's separate from the any of the mic equipment. So I, I have that equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never actually thought about doing it for myself just because I only need those short clips. Mm-hmm. So I don't really need to record the whole event. And mm-hmm. it's not like I'm talking on the mic a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually the, the audio that comes through my DJ software, if I do hit record, it mm-hmm. records both the music playing 
and it records the microphone. And then what I do from there, there is I can take it into Adobe Audition and I can mm-hmm. clean it up. And mm-hmm. uh, if I need to, I can just grab the grab the pieces that I need. Right. So that's usually how I go about it. And and especially because um, YouTube loves to go with copyright oh, strikes. Oh yeah, that, so that's that's gotta be a challenge. So I, it's five seconds. It, yeah. So oh, wow. Anybody listening, if you want to know how long you can play music on YouTube without getting a copyright strike, it's roughly five seconds. Wow. Uh, one of my most <laughs> viewed gig logs. Um, actually, I got a copyright strike on it. Well, basically, I didn't get a copyright strike. I got demonetized. Yeah. So I, I don't make any money off that one. It is mm-hmm. the highest viewed one. Ironic? Oh. I don't know. Like, I think it's. I think I don't think it's a coincidence. I'm pretty sure <laughs> YouTube pushes that one because they're they're the ones making the money off of it. But how many views did you get on that? Um, most of my gig logs get right around. I'd say within the first week, if I get upwards to a thousand, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. So it's not huge, um, but considering the the kind of the niche market that I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, there's only I'd say two other YouTubers that have a significant amount of uh, subscribers, mm-hmm. and they're both around the forty to fifty thousand subscriber mark. Yeah, um, I'm about to break two thousand, and I was n- I never got into it for mm-hmm. the subscribers. I literally got into it to do the gig logs, and to basically you know use it to use it as promotional mm-hmm. promotional material for the you know the DJ business. Um, but it, that's actually kind of snowballed into a whole nother revenue stream that I never expected. Mm-hmm. You know, I there's I get free, well, I wouldn't say free, but I get uh, like music subscriptions given to me in order or in, in exchange for reviews on their sites, mm. and uh, I've gotten you know products sent to me in exchange for reviews. Uh, I have there's several products that I that I have purchased that I know I'm an affiliate for, mm-hmm. so. Basically through my review videos, if they click my link, you know, I get affiliate money. So that's definitely become it's nothing substantial, but a couple hundred bucks, you know, here and there that I can make, you know, I guess even side hustles are the side hustle yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I've never really taken the time to develop my YouTube channel, which I should because I'm a video producer. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just one of the things that I'm like, uh don't yeah. want to put in all that time so i've never been reached out by those companies i'm in, i'm surprised that they reach out to somebody with about 2000 subscribers that's when they start trickling in or i think you know because it's a smaller market mm. uh, i think that you get noticed sooner and i and it's not just i'm i'm very active in all forms of mm-hmm. of social media so youtube uh, instagram Facebook. I'm a part of a lot of the DJ Facebook groups, and I mm-hmm. share my videos in there. So I think I just get noticed in a lot of different areas, and yeah. that's usually, you know, maybe a a brand ambassador or or somebody somebody in the promotionals marketing department of one of these companies might mm-hmm. might see it, and then that's how how they end up reaching out to me, uh, or or it's relationships that I develop myself. I mean, there's definitely some that I. Definitely, I've reached out to companies that I want to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's somebody that is releasing a product, and I'm like, I really want that product, but I don't want to pay full price. <laughs> you know, I'll reach out to them, and yeah. you never know. Sometimes they give me free stuff. Um, one one good example is the the Apple Watch band that's on this. It's like mm-hmm. a $60 watch band, and I got it for free because I reached out to them and was like, hey, if I recommend this watch band in my video, you know, will you give me a discount? They're like, yeah, we'll send you one. I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> that is easy. I didn't expect free. Like, discount would have been fine, but cool, free. That's free awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to get uh, free stuff. Just invest in a YouTube channel that (laughs) you review and get an audience so you can get free stuff. By no means am I saying that's why I have a YouTube channel. (laughs) Yeah. It does help. How how would you say these vlogs or gig logs have 
impacted your business? Is it, is there any sort of return on investment or any, anything that you can correlate to its success? So I would say that my initially, uh, there's kind of a second piece to this, but initially there was a huge return on it. Uh, because I didn't have anything like that. I didn't have any video footage or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then I was also in a, um, I guess the, I wasn't charging as much as I am now. Mm-hmm. So my, the business was smaller. Um, I didn't necessarily know my worth. <laughs> yeah. And in in that in that that bucket that price range, um, I think by the, those brides seeing the video that I was definitely standing out above any of my competition, mm-hmm. uh, in that, in that bucket. But then when I started to raise my prices, now I'm competing with, uh, entertainment services that definitely have just as strong of a presence mm-hmm. as I do, you know, so I'm swimming with the bigger fish, you know, so yeah. to speak. So, so I don't think it's as prevalent, but it's necessary now. Mm-hmm. It's more necessary. Um, but definitely when I first started doing it, it was it was one of those things where if I sent them to my YouTube channel, they almost booked me immediately you mm. know, just because it's a way for them to see me in action, you know? Yeah. And I'm super honest about things too. If a wedding doesn't go well, I say it. And yeah. Even if the bride and groom that I just did the wedding for, if they go back and watch it, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say exactly the things that I didn't like about it. And it's usually things like I didn't like that the, the bar was completely across the room from me because as a DJ, the bar is your biggest competition in the room. Mm-hmm. So, the closer you are to the bar, the better the better off you are because mm-hmm. people are either dancing or they're at the bar. Yeah, one of the two spots. And you know, another thing that I tell people is, or I tell couples, you know, if if the couple's on the dance floor or at least one of them is on the dance floor, then the the crowd is going to be on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. If they're out smoking cigarettes or if they're over standing by the bar mm-hmm. or sitting at a table, that's where your where your crowd's going to be. So. Yeah. You know, I, that's things like that. I always add little nuggets to all my videos to just kind of, uh, it's more or less hints or tips. Well, I guess nuggets, you can call them nuggets. There's yeah. little, they're little nuggets, tips for, for potential clients. And you know, hopefully they pick up on that stuff and, you know, they take, uh, they take it into consideration when they're planning their event. Yeah. So it helps you so they can, you can have a better event, but also there's a lot of psychology that a bride isn't even thinking of. That wouldn't even occur. Like, I mean, I'm not a bride, but it didn't yeah. occur to me that, oh, the bar being on the other side is going to make the dance floor empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and providing that information is going to be so useful to building that trust and be like, I didn't think of that. This guy's smart. We should hire this guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and now you're competing in the big, big fish. And how is that? Uh, are other people doing the same thing or what's making that difficult? So I wouldn't say there's other companies doing the gig logs like I am because there's there's not mm. that, that I know of in this market. But there's definitely other entertainment businesses in this market that have very good, very well-produced video content of themselves. Mm. Uh, some of them, it's not uncommon for, for the larger services to, to bring a, social, a media company person just to capture media mm. you know they're a roadie that helps set up and stuff like that um you know go grab me a water or whatever yeah <laughs> but then also once the event kicks off that person is typically in charge of running the instagram so they're they're shooting all the instagram video, video footage for the instagram stories you know and then they're also running around with a camera a lot of times mm. getting video footage or you know putting the the fish eye lens on and getting some sweet dance floor shots for their mm-hmm. for their social media you know later mm-hmm. so that's something that I don't have yet I haven't um, 
haven't progressed that far to the point where I can afford to uh, to bring somebody with mm. me all the time to do that stuff. So, can well. you uh, since you're kind of saving on those expenses, you could probably undercut the competition a little bit and be like, we get this kind of content and we're not quite as expensive as them because we don't have as many people to pay. Yeah, um, that's that's true. But at the same time, it's like I I want to I want to get what I feel like I'm worth. Yeah, you know so. Knowing that I used to charge a certain amount, um, and and then seeing other people's events and like how they how they work at events, I know that I'm providing more mm-hmm. than a lot of those guys are anyway, and I'm doing it on my own. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, so what was that breakthrough for you that you discovered your value? Because I, I think that's a, what a lot of people starting off struggle with. Mm-hmm. I know I did uh, struggle with that too. Is just not knowing how to price yourself, how to value yourself. What, what was your experience with that transition? So for the longest time, I just, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I felt like I was ripping people off because mm. I definitely didn't feel like that. But, you know, it was to pay somebody $1,000 to come play music and me coming from a club bar background where I'm making 150 to 200 a night mm-hmm. to go into doing a wedding where, granted, yes, at a wedding, your role is way more important and you're bringing all this equipment and stuff. Um but to, to make that much more money, mm-hmm. I didn't really, not, I guess I didn't think I was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a mental thing. Um, but then once I started to get deeper into the private event space, I realized the amount of work that I was actually putting in and the, the self-improvement stuff that I was doing, going to DJ conferences and conventions and, you know, taking, uh, you know, MC courses on how to, mm-hmm. how to speak into a microphone, how to, how to control a crowd, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. I realized that, okay, I'm more than a $600 wedding DJ. Yeah. I, I need to, you know, up my game a little bit here. Uh, and, and honestly, it just became a situation where, it's, you know, if, if if they're saying yes right away, you're not charging enough. <laughs> you're not asking for enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, I did, did definitely do a lot of market research um, to try to figure out where my competition was and just kind of looking at other vendors in, in the space and uh, seeing where they're at, you know, what mm-hmm. are they charging? Because clearly they've been in business a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they're they're getting what they want. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how I did it. And uh, yeah, I just kind of slowly, I ticked it up. I started taking taking it up last year, and I'm at a spot now where I feel comfortable. I feel like I could stay here for a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know, it, whether I guess the the cost of things goes up, or what if I wanted to start adding people to the team, type of stuff like that? Then that would be a situation where I would, I guess, take up one more time. Yeah, yeah. there's kind of this fun analogy where uh, this guy hires uh, a plumber to fix something, and he comes in, he turns a screw, and then says, "Okay, that's gonna be two hundred bucks." And he's like, "You just turned a screw. Why am I paying you two hundred bucks?" It's like, well. A dollar for the screw, and then uh, the rest for the experience of knowing how to which screw to to turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and that's kind of what I'm hearing in your stories: the fact that you had to invest in yourself, you had to go to these conferences, and that was what made you realize you're worth more because you're putting a lot of time and money into getting that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to also ask you. What makes you feel you're different from your competition? What are you doing to separate yourself? So one of the biggest things that I've noticed over the last couple of years, uh, especially me coming from the bar, like club kind of background, is the 
I guess, the expectation of an entertainer that's going to mix music. Mm-hmm. And by mixing music, I mean smooth transitions from one song to the other. Like, we're literally beat, beat mixing songs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and there's still a large portion of event entertainment entertainers that don't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing um, that, that I do that... You know, there's definitely other people in the industry that do it, but that's one thing that definitely helps me, you know, set myself apart. You know, another thing is uh, how I kind of mentioned in my little intro for you is that uh, I like to try to make each event unique. Mm-hmm. So I like to try to find a piece of that event that I can take and make it, I guess, extraordinary, you know, yeah. um, <clears throat> above and beyond. Uh, one good example would be uh, I had a bride once ask me, or I, I was go, we were going over the itinerary, and I noticed that she didn't have a dollar dance or anything like that on there. And mm-hmm. I asked her, I was like, you know, well, so why, why don't you want to do a dollar dance? And she goes, oh well, it's cheesy, and I just don't feel like uh, I, I don't like the fact that you have to, you're asking people for for their money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you could look at it as a different way. As like the way I look at it as an entertainer, is a dollar dance is is a, a time for you to have thirty seconds or so with important people in your life one-on-one you Mm -hmm. know no other time in that evening are you going to have just that one-on-one time there's always going to be other people around Mm -hmm. and she's like oh well i never really thought about it that way i was like well how about we just recraft it and instead of me announcing it as a dollar dance i announce it as something else yeah and she goes well what would you want to do i was like well they can still donate money if they want to but (laughs) let's switch it up let's uh this is totally off the cuff too i was like how about how about we do a wish dance Mm -hmm. and uh She's like, what do you mean a wish dance? I was like, well, we'll have a basket or a jar. Instead of putting money in the basket or the jar, they write on a piece of paper a wish or a statement or something, uh, something that they wish they knew in their first year of marriage. Mm -hmm. And if they're not married, it can be anything they want. Just Mm -hmm. congratulations. Or they put something thoughtful on a piece of paper and put it in that jar and sign their name. So then as time goes on, you guys can pull those out and, you know, have those memories. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's. I haven't seen that done at a wedding before. I don't think anybody's done it. <laughs> <laughs> Get that trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> that's your uh, your new service. Um, so, do you run paid ads at all? Yes. Um, so I've had I've had mixed success with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all really, especially in my market or in my industry, I guess in the the wedding industry. It's um, this is, this would work for you as well. It's really about drilling down and finding that demographic with mm-hmm. the paid ads. And one way that I've done it is um, through so the set your radiuses. So set your radius for Grand Rapids. So I'll like since I'm from Kalamazoo, I'll drop a pen on Kalamazoo, run it out 30, 40 miles. Drop a pen on Grand Rapids, run it out 30 or 40 miles. And then when I'm selecting the demographic, I make sure I select things like engaged, newly engaged, engaged six months, engaged one year. Uh, and then you end up with about 17,000-ish people uh, typically is what I've found. Mm-hmm. Um And But you can't just put anything on there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it has to be engaging content. And that's where I've I've wasted a lot of money. I think I spent... I spent about $700 last year on paid Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I book one wedding, I you know, I, yeah. I, I recouped all that money. And I've booked way more than one wedding off Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, one ad that I ran was a first dance quiz. So I used some third-party uh, websites um, to make a quiz mm-hmm. and then use that quiz 
to collect leads. Mm -hmm. So basically, they click the ad. The ad is, what should your first dance song be? They click the ad. It takes you to a landing page on my website. From my, from there, you fill out the information. One of the required responses is your email address. Yeah. <laughs> so they click submit. It refreshes to the quiz. And then they take the quiz. At the end, it tells them what their first dance song should be. Mm-hmm. And I created the quiz. So there's a, there was like basically a series of combinations would get you a different answer. And yeah. like, there's only like five or six different answers. I basically took the six most popular 2019 first dance songs mm-hmm. and you know, use those. Um, and did you have a segmented like email campaign for each result? Yeah, uh, not for each result. No, I did. Sl- I collected all of those emails into Mailchimp, mm-hmm. and then they basically got added into my Mailchimp. Um, I guess what's it called? Uh, contact list. Right. So then they get my monthly newsletter, unless they unsubscribe. Um, so I do a monthly newsletter there, and then I also do just some plugs. Like I just bought a new photo booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a social sharing booth. It instead of doing prints, it sends. It sends them the photos via uh, either airdrop, email, or text message. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I made a flyer in uh, Canva, mm-hmm. and then I make a mail a Mailchimp uh, campaign, and that goes out to my you know potential potential clients. I just launched a new service. Uh, it's like a photo booth, but I call it the slow mo booth. It's basically. Um, a boomerang, a collection of boomerangs of mm-hmm. your wedding party uh, put together in a quick video that's just fun and engaging. So you just get about five seconds to do something crazy, and then I edit it all together. Um, now, coming back to the ads, the what are, what are you finding in conversions? Like when you have this email list built up, how many people are unsubscribing? How many people actually end up converting from a quiz so from the quizzes i gosh i haven't ran one in a while um the quiz i did find that so i've ran it three times Mm -hmm. and each time i got less and less probably because it's essentially we're sending it to the same people you know if as people get engaged yes it adds to the pool Mm -hmm. but for the most part you know you're sending it to a lot of life yeah you're sending it to (laughs) a lot of the same people uh i think i booked I think I booked two weddings off of that off of the quiz. I got just over a hundred people to take it, and from those hundred, I think like thirty some actually opened my email <laughs> after the fact. So the conversion isn't huge, mm-hmm. but if you think about, it, I only spent ten dollars a day, ran the ad for seven days, so I spent mm-hmm. seventy dollars and I booked two weddings. Yeah. So. It's it's a lower. That's pretty good considering it's kind of a lower intent when yeah. you're filling out a quiz. There's you know the fact that you are looking for a DJ, but it's <clears throat> less direct. It's than, definitely less direct, and just because you're engaged doesn't mean you don't already have your DJ picked. Yeah. So that's one thing that I can't control. That's mm-hmm. a variable that I had no control over. So if there was a if that was one of the drop down menus in the Facebook ads, <laughs> do you have a DJ booked? I would click it. <laughs> so that's one that I'm I am wasting wasting you know ad money on on those mm-hmm. people and i've found that it's not with facebook it's not super super accurate because i still had you know friends of mine mm-hmm. you know uh, male or female that are definitely not engaged or they're married and they're seeing my ads it's like, really like hmm so that's good to know there's definitely some people that are still they're slip it's slipping through the cracks to people still yeah what made you choose a uh campaign like that versus something more direct saying hey i'm a dj this is what i do come check out my prices i guess it's more of the 
the soft touch approach. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not saying, "Hey, look at me. Mm-hmm. Come click on my website and look at what I have to offer." It's more of a this. I'm, I'm going to show you what's in it for you right off the bat mm-hmm. by saying, "This is what your first dance song should be." Mm-hmm. You know, may you choose to to look at my website after the fact because mm-hmm. after you hit submit on the quiz, uh, it does there's a big old link that says <laughs> you know, Lux Entertainment. Click here. <laughs> so I, I do hope that they go to my website and check things out after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that. You know, that's just a, in in this day and age of in your face, there's so much in your face marketing. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the stuff that's not so what quite so in your face is successful. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the wedding ads that I ran were, I mean, I had a little bit of an easier time picking out content because I can just take a portfolio item, uh, someone's wedding film, put it out there, and then that hopefully get some interest in they're watching that and they're like oh, i like that and they'll click learn mm-hmm. more and then find out all the additional information coming back to targeting so you said you use engaged um and then location were there any other parameters that you used uh male and female i did do male well actually it depends mm-hmm. so for the first dance quiz i targeted female only mm-hmm. uh, for some other things that i've ran like you were talking about the video mm-hmm. so i actually did i put since i do shoot some i just so happen to shoot a little bit of video yeah i uh <laughs> i put together my own little highlight reel short 30 second the ending of it is my logo it's just people dancing having a good time right mm-hmm. um that one i targeted male and female uh the the locations so i do I would do location Male and female, then engaged, engaged three months, six months, one year, mm-hmm. whatever. So Yeah, the, so the targeting that I ended up going with was I did the engage. I didn't – it told me it was too small of an audience if I went by, like, the months. So I just mm-hmm. did engaged. And then I targeted only females, and I targeted uh, by the age of 18 to 35. Okay. And uh, on top of that, and what I think – was kind of my secret sauce was I engage people that had an interest in either wedding wire or the knot because that indicated to me that they were planning their own wedding. I didn't have to go through a wedding planner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that increased the likelihood that they would just book me themselves. Right. That's actually, that's clever. I never thought about the, the interest, uh, wedding wire or not interest. Um, but one thing that, that I did pick up on, you're talking about the, the ages. I definitely go higher in age mm-hmm. because, uh, well, believe it or not, there are people getting married for the second or third time yeah. that are still doing, you know, still need a DJ. So, and they're on Facebook. That's mm-hmm. that's the age of people on Facebook. Our parents right. are the ones that are using Facebook. You know, our generation's using Instagram. Yeah. So, I definitely keep that age out there farther. And because I would say, I would say probably at least two to three out of every 10 inquiries I get is actually coming from the mother of the bride or the mm. mother of the groom. They're highly involved in the planning process a lot of times, especially mm-hmm. with the younger couples. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've been married before and they just, I don't know, moms like to take control. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So uh, I've definitely, even the, this year alone, I'd say I've booked probably four or five weddings that I, I dealt primarily with the mom and mm-hmm. I had to, I had to ask her, I'm like, Hey, I need to meet, <laughs> I need to meet the bride and groom. Like, you know, can we bring them to the meeting? <laughs> like, and you're cool and all, but they're the ones getting married. So yeah, I, the reason I decided to go with that age bracket was the fact that, um, I mean, you make a great point about the parents, but my thought process was 
older couples are less likely to want a video of their wedding. Um, It's probably going to appeal less. And I find younger couples generally have more of that desire. Like Mm -hmm. they've kind of grown up in that world of we're putting out video, we're showcasing. Like that's more normalized than it is for a older generation see that's the difference my industry and your industry yeah yeah we, we we're both we're both doing a lot of weddings but you know it's mm. to- totally different there are two yeah. different industries yeah i completely completely agree i have i do kind of dabble in both but that, that's a very good point mm-hmm. you know with the the fact that yeah the older couples they did, video wasn't a thing back then if anything mm. they had the giant camcorder on yeah. somebody's shoulder kind of thing <laughs> uh so yeah I, I definitely can see that and i think that uh you know, with it being a second wedding or third wedding potentially, you know they're they're probably not going to want to spend as much money. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not. They don't typically don't mind splurging on the entertainment because maybe they had a a crappy band or DJ the first time around, right, right. <laughs> so so they're willing to spend a little more there. But yeah, I definitely see the the not not looking for the need for you're know, not seeing the need for video, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I've definitely seen an uptick. A huge uptick in the last, I'd say, five years of videographers at weddings. Mm-hmm. And when I walk into a wedding and I see a videographer, I get excited mm-hmm. because for me, that means I can potentially get some footage from them. <laughs> some you know. drone shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hook me up with some of that footage. I've honestly given them my camera and be like, hey, will you just get some footage of me? <laughs> right. Before you, I know you guys are packing up, but <laughs> real quick. Um, but also, typically, the, the clients that have a videographer. Uh, that crowd ends up just being way more energetic for whatever reason. I don't, mm. I don't know what it is. You know, if it's the the bride saying, "Hey, I hired a videographer. We got to get hype on the dance floor," or <laughs> what. But but I've found that you know the the weddings that have a videographer are typically more fun. People love the camera. I mean, you either love it or you hate it. Yeah. But I find most people they're just kind of doing their thing, and then the camera swings by, and they're like, "Yeah, in the face." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, mean, I, I can put a montage together of just in my camera's, you know, face clips. I sometimes use that in the final edit too. Once I get to like the wedding film, that's more of the fun, exciting stuff. They uh-huh. use some of those shots where people look straight in the camera and do something <laughs> silly or goofy. Yeah. I had this one edit where I ended up having like some goofy shots of different people from the wedding party. So I mixed it in with their uh, introductions as the, you know, the MC saying, and it's so-and-so. So I show a shot of them walking in and I cut to a shot of them doing something silly earlier or later <laughs> in the wedding. I just kind of had this little montage of that. That, that was, was fun. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I could have used that because I had, I had one uh, tail end of last year where it was a, super like clean cut groomsmen like you could mm. tell he was just a serious guy and then a few jack and cokes later he's out of the dance floor just fist pumping <laughs> crazy you never know how, yeah. what people are going to turn out to be once yeah. so it's i've had some surprises where some weddings i like i had the sense that they were going to be much more reserved and then they party like yeah. none other and then uh, others that are the opposite yeah you you're spot on like you cannot that's yeah, the whole judging a book by by the cover thing, you cannot do that with weddings because I've mm-hmm. definitely done that. I've walked into a wedding and seen a ton of younger people and, and be like, this is going to be, this is that wedding. Yeah. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> and then it's like, this one sucked. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. but <laughs> And then you have a, the exact opposite where it's like, oh, man, this one's 
I don't think this one's gonna go very well. And then <laughs> you start packing things up, and you got you got I've got goosebumps and the hair in the back of my neck standing up because I just had one of the best nights ever. Yeah. With a crowd that I expected to you know be lame. Yeah. For, for lack of better terms, you know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. When the older gentlemen and people get all dancing and <laughs> well i think a lot of it is they don't go out that much anymore <laughs> so, <laughs> that might be true yeah so they get they get a chance to go out and have some fun and they just really let loose so <laughs> all right well thank you so much for coming on the show we're just about out of time now so if anyone wants to look up lux entertainment you can learn more on his website i think it's just luxentertainment.com it's actually it's luxent.com uh instagram is lux entertainment kzoo okay so all right well thank you very much for tuning in for this week's episode of fluid digital marketing